Oh my goodness. How are we doing this morning, Eastgate? Yeah. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. We are going to have some fun in the house today, but you guys got to convince me first that you're awake. Is anybody in here in love with Jesus this morning? Yeah. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you everyone for joining us online. Hey, if you haven't done this yet, take a second to uh, just like the live stream and remember to click that share button so that we can continue to spread the good news out there. Let people know about what God's doing at Eastgate Church every week. Guys, we got some fun. We got some fun going on this morning. If you came in a little bit late for service, you missed the band kicking off everything with some 70s funk music, and it was pretty cool. It was really cool. You don't want to miss next week, though, because they're going to do the same thing again with some 80s stuff. How many of y'all like 80s music? Man, if I had to pick a genre, 80s music would probably be right up there in my top two or three. Uh, I love 80s music, just the rock and the stuff and the look that the guys got away with during that time period blows me away. So we might see some of that appear next week, though. Here's what we want to do. Church is supposed to be fun, right? And, and God can do some powerful stuff, too. I don't know where this little thing came from that said church had to be serious all the time and we had to be all sober and solemn and, and speak in a monotone voice and not have any fun at all and just be serious as can be. I believe that we serve a God that likes to have fun. I mean, look at the giraffe. Does that look like the work of a serious artist to you? I mean, really, he makes some goofy-looking animals. Look at uh, the manatee. Come on. God's got a sense of humor. He's got a sense of humor. Look at your average Alabama fan. God's got a sense of humor. I'm just saying. I'm just saying in the place that I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Look, if, you, if you're watching online, you're an Alabama fan. Hey, we love you here at Eastgate. We believe that God can forgive anyone of their past and their sins. So, Hey, football season is here. Ah, I'm so excited about this. My time of year. Thank God we get to have some football. Um, Next week, though, want to have some fun and not just talk smack about football. We were thinking it might be fun if, since it's 80s week, we had a little costume competition, a little outfit competition, and see who might be able to come up with the best 80s outfit next week. How many of y'all would be down for that? That would be fun. I want to do that. Now, I know some of y'all are on the ropes. I don't know if I want to dress up. That just sounds like, I don't know if I can feel the Holy Ghost if I got on 80 stuff. I just Trust me, the big hoop earrings will help you receive from God better if you decide to do that. Uh, but here's the deal. Whoever wins this competition, first and second place prize, look, first place is going to get a $100 gift card to spend any way that you want to. Second place is going to get a $50 gift card to spend any way that you want to, okay? We thought we might make it a little bit fun. So not only are you going to get to have fun dressing up, but we're going to have some judges ready to judge who's got the best 80s outfit, and we're looking for the most authentic, over-the-top thing you can come up with, all right? Now, here's the deal. If you do it, I'll do it. If you do it, I'll do it. That a deal? Pastor Joshua, you're saying, oh, I'll get up here and preach in the 
the tight leather pants and the I'll, I'll have the long hair and, and the maybe not the tight leather pants because I don't think I could handle that. But I'll dress up if you got. I want you to come to church. I don't want you to stay at home and cover your eyes. We don't want that. But that sounds like fun, huh? Right? Now, next week, 80s. So dress up. We're going to judge it. Winners get the cards. Losers, you still get to have fun. Dressing up like the 80s. Nobody's going to get their feelings hurt, though, if you go all out and you don't win the competition, right? We're, we're past all that, right? Yeah. So that sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, just by a round of applause, get, let's, let me hear your applause if you think that's a great idea, and we're going to do that next week. Let me hear you. All right. Hey, <laughs> and for no other reason, it's going to be hilarious to watch guests walk in. And we're all dressed up like the 80s, and then we go, what is going, what have I gotten, what, what is up with church, man, what in the world? So it'll be fun. You guys watching online, hey, come hang out with us and dress up, it'll be fun. Or you know what, if you like to dress up at home, then wear your 80s stuff at home. Some of you won't have to reach too far into your closet, though, I think, to come up with some great outfits. I've seen how some of you guys have been sneaking it into uh, your, the way you dress, so we'll have some fun with that. But today, we're not talking about the 80s. Today, we're going to talk about the 70s in this new series we're kicking off today called Decades. And I'm excited about this because there's a lot of stuff that we can learn from the 70s. How many of you guys were alive during the 70s? I'm going to put you all on the spot. Yeah, me too. I wasn't very alive, but I was alive during the 70s. How many of y'all for the 70s, it's just something that you see on documentaries and you read about in history books? Yeah, there's a bunch of us here that way too. Um, we, were, we were talking about the series, and one of the, one of the people at the, the, in the leadership meeting said, I, I'm going to have to read up on the 70s because I wasn't born until the 90s, so I don't know what any of that looks like. And I felt incredibly old in that moment, so... <laughs> Jim, thanks a lot for that, man. I appreciate that. Um, but today we're going to talk about the 70s. There's a lot that we can look at and learn from that decade. I think there's no way, though, you can talk about the 70s without talking about disco. Just no way. Oh, there it is right there. Not just disco, but you got to have staying alive. How many of y'all saw that movie with John Travolta? Oh, yeah. What was that movie called? What was it called? Saturday Night Fever? That's what? Saturday Night Fever. Some of y'all got confused. I heard Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that was a great movie. It kicked off the disco fever, though, and everybody had... I'm kind of glad I missed that, though, and I didn't get to dress that way. Um, dang. But not just uh, disco kicked off in the 70s. Though. A lot of really awesome or popular movies came out. The Godfather came out in the 70s. Gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. All in the 70s, and we learned just how big and bad that organized crime could be. And it wasn't just The Godfather, but we also saw Jaws hit the scene in the 70s, and it scared the junk out of everybody. It's still scaring the mess out of everybody. And I think, personally, it inspired Shark Week. It all goes back to Jaws. Jaws is the reason why Pastor Josh does not get out in the ocean past his waist. And he makes sure that he can see the dirt he's stepping on in that ocean. I don't play with sharks, and thank you, Jaws, for all of that. Another big movie that came out in the 70s was this one, Star Wars. How many Star Wars fans do we have in the house or online this morning? I am a Star Wars super geek. Oh, my goodness, I've even been watching The Mandalorian, and, I, man, Baby Yoda is is stinking awesome. 
Not only is he cute, but he can do stuff too. He's got it going on. So Star Wars is great. You know, the Star Wars, they not only was it groundbreaking for its time, this series went on to make like billions and billions of dollars at the box office. I wish I'd had that idea before George Lucas did. Hey, George, if you're watching, I know a church that could use a few million of that few billion that you got. Maybe you could just ship it over this way and it would be fun. But the 70s wasn't just about you know, groundbreaking movies or anything like that. The 70s had its own look going on. And guys were usually dressing in stuff like this. Some of y'all probably still got some of these outfits in your closet. Yeah, good old 70s. And the ladies were rocking outfits that looked like this. Now, what's crazy is a lot of this look is coming back now. Isn't that crazy? Everything works in a cycle, you know. It's, it's crazy. Bell bottoms and those high-waisted mom jeans are coming back. Can't believe it. That's the way they were looking. Now, I was born in uh, the mid-70s. So I kind of snuck in right on the tail end of the 70s. And I got to be honest with you, I was known for rocking some 70s outfits too. And I wanted to share an incredibly embarrassing photo with you guys this morning. This is me rocking my 70s look as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, I was, I was expecting more. Oh. And see, there it is. And not just like, dear Lord, that kid had a lot of hair. What happened? Yeah. So I, I came in on the tail end of the 70s. And the 70s carried with it a philosophy, carried over from the 60s. So like the 70s is kind of the effect to the, uh, to the cause that was the 60s going into the 70s. 60s was full of rebellion. Um, it wasn't really so much a revolution as it was a rebellion against this institution and rebellion against authority and uh, a move away from absolutes and an adaptation of um, personal interpretation of what was or wasn't right. And so there was a theme that came out and it carried over into the 70s and it was, if it feels good and it feels right, then do it. If it feels good and it feels right, then do it. Just follow your heart. Just do what feels right for you because you know best what's right for you and what feels the best for you. Now, the problem with this philosophy is that it got us into a lot of trouble into the 70s. It got us into a ton of trouble because this philosophy goes in incredible contradiction to what we see in the Bible. The Bible warned us against following our feelings and just doing what feels right in the moment, you know, what, what feels good at the moment. The Bible warned us against that. In fact, in uh, Jeremiah 17, there's a pretty big warning to us. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Left to itself, the heart will become consumed with fleshly, worldly desires and it will crave only what is convenient and pleasurable for itself. It doesn't take into consideration the impact of its actions. It doesn't take into consideration what's going to happen to other people. It doesn't take into consideration the long-term implications or consequences for the choices that are going to be made. It's always focusing on what's happening in the moment. So if you follow your heart, 
If you do what feels good and you do what feels right, like that philosophy said, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. And we saw that starting to happen in the 70s. Because of this philosophy and because of this mindset and because of how society in America especially grabbed a hold of it, we began to see ripple effects and some groundbreaking things that happened in the 70s that still we're paying the price for today as a society. The first one was this, the no-fault divorce bill that was passed in the late 60s going into the 70s. This bill said, in a nutshell, that you don't have to have a reason for divorce anymore. You can divorce somebody for whatever reason that you want, or you can divorce somebody for no reason at all. If you're just tired of the way that they chew their cereal in the morning, and I know some of us have thought that from time to time, you cannot... It's a bad thing to divorce somebody over, but that bill said, you know what, you could do it if you wanted to. And it doesn't take two people agreeing on being divorced anymore. Now one person can choose to divorce another person for whatever reason. Used to be there was a standard, and you had to look at issues of abuse or impropriety or somebody cheating on somebody, you know, something like that, um, to qualify for divorce to happen. But this bill knocked all of that out. And as a result, divorces went through the roof through the 70s to the end of the 70s. At the beginning of the 70s, the divorce rate was around 11%. The end of the 70s, because of this bill passing and them saying, you know what, if you don't feel like being married anymore, just do what you feel like doing, end it, and move on to the next one. Because of this bill and that philosophy, the divorce rate went over to just over 50% by the end of the 70s. Immediate impact. If it feels good and it feels right, then go ahead and do it. And it made a huge impact on the American home through the 80s and 90s. And even today, those bills are still in place. And it's impacting households and children and, and, and having a huge impact on us as a country. The, the second thing that came from this philosophy in the 70s was the big scandal at Watergate. You guys remember that? Remember hearing about that in school? Um, our president covered up a break-in lied to the American people, covered up a little, a, little, a little happening there, and got busted. And the president, Nixon, his, 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 his response when people tried to hold him accountable to this reflected the philosophy of the day. He, they asked him, will you at least admit what you did was illegal? Nixon responded like this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, for the average person... That would have been illegal. But because I did it, it was not illegal. Because when the president does something, it is not illegal, even if it is illegal. Follow that train of thought. If it feels right, feels good, then do it. Everything becomes subjective. One of his aides, um, a guy with the last name Colson, um, who was really a big part of covering up everything uh, for Nixon at that time actually got saved later and wrote this book called How Now Shall We Live? And he wrote in this book, and I'll paraphrase this too, he said, um, I was so focused on what I felt was right to step in and cover the president that I did not stop to think about whether or not what I was doing was morally right. He was focused on how he felt 
instead of focused on the absolute of morality in the situation. See how it plays out. Another guy that became infamous in the 70s was a guy named George Wallace. Y'all remember hearing about Mr. George Wallace? He got a lot of coverage in the late 60s for opposing the civil rights movement. But in the 70s, he, he became famous again for incredibly nasty racist statements. And he actually even... Uh, opposed uh, integration of schools into the 70s and actually stood there with some people at the doorway of the University of Alabama to keep people of color from coming into the school to attend classes. It's crazy. Later, George Wallace, later on in the 70s, um, gave his heart to Jesus. A lot of people don't know that. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And looking back, on the way that he was before he accepted Christ, and Christ changed his heart and changed his life. He said, I was blinded by hatred, and I was too busy seeking power when I should have been seeking love and forgiveness and restoration with races. Blinded by hatred. If it feels good and it feels right, then do it. But he had a change of heart later. Um, George Wallace wasn't just the other one or the only one um, that stirred up a lot of fuss. There was a big fuss over this court decision, Supreme Court decision. Uh, we know it is Roe versus Wade, where, ebor- where abortion was legalized across the United States, that it could not be prohibited by states anymore. They had to make abortion legal. Norma, I believe her last name is McCorvey, um, was the pitcher person for this crusade to make abortion legal. Campaigned for it, fought for it, went to court. She was a poster child for it. Later, a lot of people don't know this, that she had a change of heart when she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior because a minister reached out to her to give her heart to Jesus. Norma, was recounting the moment when she knew what she had decided to do with abortion was wrong. She remembered being in an abortion clinic working at the time and seeing the fetal development chart. And she said, it was like scales had just dropped from my eyes. And for the first time, I saw the eyes and I saw the heart and I realized that that was a living baby in the womb. She said she was so impacted by that moment that she went outside to gather herself and just cried and repented before God. She realized what she had done. She said, I have been so blinded by my emotion over the cause of making sure that a woman had the right to choose that I never stopped to consider whether or not it was morally right. All decisions made by emotion, all decisions driven by emotion, all decisions and actions that had incredible impact on us as a country and is still having an impact on us as a country today. How many hundreds of millions of babies now have been aborted? Not just in the U.S., but overseas. It's crazy. And while she changed her heart and, and moved away from that, She doesn't get to go back in time, though, and redo 
and stop the damage that was done from that point on. It's crazy. It's crazy. If it feels good and it feels right, then just do it. You know, if we're not careful, making decisions in emotional moments or making decisions that are driven by emotion and feeling can get us in trouble. Big, big trouble. And there's a principle that we live on here at this church, and it goes like this. We don't live by what we feel. We live by what we know. We don't live by what we feel. We live by what we know. What does that mean, Pastor Josh? It means this. Listen, we're not driven by our feelings and our emotions. And it's not that feelings and emotions are bad. God gave them to us. Okay? And actually, when you look at the Bible, Jesus experienced a full range of emotions. You can see in the Bible that God the Father experiences emotions too because uh, you can see where he, he expresses sadness and sorrow and then anger at times, but in his anger he does not sin. And I think that's the dividing line is that having emotions versus emotions having us. Big difference there. So we don't live by what we feel, we live by what we know. It means that we look at the Word of God and we look at the biblical principles in the Word of God and we decide to live our lives according to what the Bible says regardless of how we feel at any given moment. Because your emotions and your feelings will lie to you. They'll lie to you. We just read that earlier. The heart's deceitful. When it's left to itself, it'll do what it wants to do if you don't keep it in check. That's why we don't live by what we feel. We live by what we know. doesn't matter whether or not I feel like I want to forgive you. I know the Bible says I need to forgive you. So I set my feelings aside, and I do what I know the Bible says to do, regardless of how I feel. Okay? Well, we get up and we go to work, most of us in here, pretty much every day. How many of you feel like going to work every day? I don't see a hand going up in this place right now. No, most people, that's why they call it work and not fun. You don't go to fun, you go to work, right? You go to work so you can do what you need to do to get paid. And it's nice if you can enjoy what you do, but sometimes you just want to lay in bed. Look, I don't always feel like getting my butt up and coming up here and preaching every Sunday either. There are some times where Pastor Josh goes, wow, it is real early in the morning and it's still dark outside. I could just pick up the phone and say, hey, Pastor Jeremy, you got it today, buddy. Let it be a growing experience for you. We'll talk later you know, and then hang up. But I don't do that. I don't live by what I feel. I live by what I know, and I know I'm called to do this. You don't stay home because you know the benefits of going to work. It's nice to eat, isn't it? It's nice to be able to pay those bills. And it's also, if you don't show up to work sooner or later, they're going to replace you with somebody that does want to show up. You know, so you don't live by what you feel. You live by what you know. And that sounds like a really cool churchy phrase. That sounds awesome. You don't live by what you feel. You live by what you know. But this has been my experience through years of ministry is that most Christians are dominated by their emotions. Most Christians make the majority of their decisions based on how they feel at any given moment. It's an emotional decision. We make decisions on how we interact with other people in moments of conflict in an emotional state instead of going to the Word of God and doing what the Bible says. You know? That's why most Christians 
that I've experienced through my ministry, and it might be different for somebody somewhere else, but for me, for what I've seen, most Christians deal with issues of anger still and rage that will pop out in a moment and dominate a situation. A lot of Christians still deal with frustration because they don't know how to deal with it and manage it. A lot of Christians deal with, and this is the big one, insecurity and a lack of self-worth. A lot of Christians deal with fear and anxiety. A lot of Christians deal with the pain from the past still. It's like an emotional whirlwind that's going on inside of them that they're not able to get control of. So what I want to do today is look at that philosophy of if it feels good or if it feels right, then do it. And I want to look at the Bible, and I want to equip us today with just some quick little things to help us to not take the bait of the enemy and to not be slaves to our emotions. You know, you can control your emotions. In Christ, you can control your emotions. Can I get an amen from somebody that's awake here this morning? You can control your emotions. Most Christians choose not to do it. Um, Unbridled emotion leads to unwanted consequences. How many of you know that's true? Oh, we could sit down and drink some coffee and I could just walk you all through my life and just show you moment after moment where I let emotions and feelings get in the way of decisions and interactions with other people and it caused problems that didn't need to happen. I wonder if anybody else could share a few of those this morning too. It leads to consequences. And if you look at the Bible, there's a lot of people that made this mistake too. Great people with great hearts that did great things for God, but still had moments of weakness where they let their emotions get the better of them. Um, Take Moses, for instance. Moses is a good one to look at. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses was the guy that was going to lead them into the promised land. Moses was the man. God told Moses at one point, I want you to take your staff and I want you to hit a rock so that I can bring water out of a rock so that the people can have something to drink. Moses did that, and it was good. Later on, God said, okay, this time I don't want you to hit the rock with your staff. I want you to speak to it, and I'll bring water out that way. So Moses was going to do that. He gathered all the people together. He stood up by the rock, but because they had aggravated the living snot out of him in his anger and in his frustration with the people that he was trying to lead, he took his staff and in anger struck the rock, and God still brought water out of the rock, but Moses had to pay a price for not being able to control his emotions. There was a consequence there that he didn't want, and God said, listen, your anger caused you to disobey what I commanded you to do. You know your emotions can get in and cause you to live a life that's disobedient to the word of God and set yourself up for some stuff that you don't have to go through. It's what happened with Moses and God said, this is because you disobeyed me. You get to go to the banks of the Jordan River, but you don't get to cross over into the promised land. Moses got to see the promised land. He was leading the people of Israel too but he never got to cross over into it because of a moment of emotion that he let dominate his life. That's crazy, huh? I wonder how many people have missed out on the blessings of God and the promise of God because of emotional moments that we let dominate our lives and take us off track. 
Don't fall into that trap. Another one that you look at is David. David was known as the man after God's own heart. Man, David was the man. David operated in integrity like almost nobody else that you're going to read about most of the time. David had a moment of weakness where he did what he felt like doing instead of doing what he should have been doing. The Bible says in a time when kings went out to battle to lead their armies into war, David chose to hang out at the palace. Because he took the easy route and did what he felt like doing, that emotional decision led to another emotional decision with Bathsheba, which led to another emotional decision to cover it up, and that led to a murder. And those decisions cost him big time. A man after God's own heart, it almost cost him his kingdom. All the heartache that he went through with Absalom, all the division, having to be run out of his kingdom and then brought back in. David never had to experience any of that, but because of a moment of emotion, it cost him. Judas is another one. He let emotions dominate his life in a moment. One of the 12 disciples walking right there with Jesus. And then Jesus called him out in a crowd over an issue with money. And Judas got offended. And Judas left and went to look for a way to betray the guy that had just offended him. Instead of forgiving, instead of fixing the, the situation, he chose to walk away in offense and it led to him betraying our Lord and Savior. That bad decision led to that. Then it led to another emotional decision where Judas chose, when he was overwhelmed with regret by what he had just done, to take his own life. See, making decisions in times of strong emotion, always a bad decision because unbridled emotion always leads to unwanted consequences in our lives. It always does. And I find usually that when people are struggling with emotion today, it's usually because they have not resolved emotional conflict or impact from the past. Usually one is feeding into the other. Usually something from the past, unresolved, is feeding into what's happening today and it's causing issues. And it looks like this. Um, you got the pain of the past that will creep over into the pressure of today. What does that look like, Pastor Josh? Okay, let's say you're dating somebody in high school and you're head over heels in love with them. They do you wrong and you find out they're cheating on you with your best friend. Now you've got the hurt, the pain, the embarrassment, the broken trust, all of that that goes on with that situation okay, that you experience as in high school. Devastates you. Most people do not let that stuff get resolved and healed. So it carries over into today. And the pressure of what we face today, you know, it's like we carry this stuff with us like a sponge will hold water. And we carry it over and the pressure of what's happening today just wrings that emotion and that hurt back out of that sponge that's our heart that we're carrying over and it bleeds over in today. And the hurt from high school now affects our relationships today because we don't trust people like we used to. Because we set the terms now for the relationships that we're in because we're not ever going to get hurt like that again. We'll let people get close, but only so close because we're still hurt 
and we're guarding that hurt, and we're not going to let anybody else have that access again. And instead of letting God heal it, we carry it over into today. Now, fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be relationships. It could be an issue of abuse. It could be an issue of betrayal. It could be whatever it is, an emotional impact from yesterday too many times carries over into today and affects how we're living our lives today. And it causes us to make decisions and an emotional response based on what happened to us in the past. Am I making sense this morning? It's what happens. All of that together creates an incredible apprehension for what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is where the average person lives their life. They're carrying stuff from yesterday that's affecting them today. And because it's affecting them today, they're making decisions that are going to impact their tomorrow out of emotion and feeling instead of letting God heal and restore and learning how to separate that stuff and to make decisions and live their life based on what the Word of God says instead of how they feel at any given moment. And there's a difference. So how do we protect ourselves? What do we do then to set ourselves up for success in this decision-making process and to get over this stuff and to make sure that we don't allow our hearts to be wounded that way and stay that way. You can get wounded and you can get hurt because that's just going to happen in life, but you got to learn how to heal fast. Amen? you got to be a fast healer. you got to be like Wolverine. you got to heal fast, man. you got to heal fast. Proverbs 4.23 reads like this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Everybody say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. You got to guard your heart. You got to guard your heart. Listen, we're real good at guarding our, our credit score. We're real good at guarding our bank accounts. Moms and dads, we're usually pretty good about guarding who we let our kids date and spend time with, right? How good are we at guarding our heart? Because everything that we do flows out of it, the Bible says. The issue is in the heart. The conflict is in the heart. And if left to itself, the heart will take you down a path that you don't need to go on. So how do we guard and protect our heart sometimes from itself? How do we protect that heart from what's going on in the world around us? How do we protect it from being hurt? How do we protect it from being influenced? by everything that's going on. Romans chapter 8. I want to go there. One of the things I love about the Bible is it lets us know how to deal with the issues of life. I love how it's so practical and it just fits into situations and circumstances that we face today. Romans 8, 5. says, To those who live according to the flesh, or those that live according to the flesh, have their minds set, on what the flesh desires. So let's stop for a second. If you live according to the flesh, then your mind is going to be set on what? What the flesh desires. Okay? So what you're focused on impacts and affects how you're living your life or what you're living your life according to. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So there's two polarized ways that we can live. 
We can live our lives focused on the flesh and then live our lives based on what the flesh desires. Or we can live our lives focused on the spirit and then see our lives being lived out according to what the spirit desires. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today, Josh? That if we will guard our hearts and make sure that what we are focused on is feeding our spirit and not feeding our flesh, then when the moment of decision comes, when the moment of conflict comes, when the moment of testing comes in our lives, our spirit is going to be stronger than that fleshly desire to do what feels right, to do what you want, to do what your emotions are telling you to do, and you're going to be able to make a spiritual decision instead of an emotional decision. Make sense? David was able to do this in Psalm 42. This is a great example of this. David didn't get everything right, but he got this right. In Psalm 42, verse 11, this is a great example. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? David was looking at himself and saying, hey, why are you acting like this? Why do I feel the way that I feel right now? Why do I feel, and you can fill in the blank, why am I feeling angry right now? Yeah, sometimes we just need to back up and talk to ourselves to make sure that we get ourselves in line with where we need to be. Why are you acting this way? Why are you so angry over this again? Why are you letting this person get the best of you? Why are you depressed? Don't you remember who the Bible says that you are, that you're a child of the Most High God, above only and not beneath the head and not the tail? Why do you see yourself in such an insignificant role when you are a child of the king himself we got to speak to ourselves and talk ourselves up david said why why am i acting uh, not according to who i know that i can be why do i have this conflict going on inside of myself because there's going to be times when we're not going to feel like we're supposed to feel there are going to be times when we're going to experience emotions that are going to try to take us down the wrong road and so we've got to have a moment of decision where we choose to recognize what we're feeling but in spite of that we put ourselves back to focus on the spiritual and look at the word of god and choose to live our lives according According to what the Bible says, David said, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He said, I might feel this way right now, but I know that that's just a feeling. So I'm going to switch my focus from my feeling and put it on the truth. And it might not feel like reality, but I know that the truth of the word of God transcends feeling and emotion and it will set my compass pointed in the right direction and if I follow what God says I'll land on solid ground every time and I will not make emotional decisions that will send me down a path of regret for later big difference big difference we got to make sure that we put our focus on the word of God now I'm going to show you a little illustration that'll break this down in a different way. Before we're saved, our heart is in a very, very dark condition. Ah, uh, good job, gentlemen. Bring it on out. Uh, let's give them a hand for helping a preacher out this morning. I want to show you how this works. 
So, we've got our heart before we're saved. You guys got that good on the camera? I want to make sure I'm not out of shot here. Our heart before we're saved. And all of the hurt and all of the sin taints our heart and stains it. Some of us are really good sinners, so we're going to get it nice and dark. So we got some testimonies. Our heart is dark with sin. Our heart is covered with emotional hurt and pain. It's what we look like before Jesus. Now, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we become what? A new creation. All of this hurt, all of this pain, all of this stuff that's dominating our decision-making process before Jesus now has to step aside because when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this thing called our spirit comes to life now. And we've got a new boss on the throne of our heart. Now it's our job to listen to what the Spirit says to do and not what our flesh is telling us to do. So God comes in and He restores and He heals and He pours His love and His restoration into our life. and He begins to do His work. And all of that sin goes away as we become a spiritual being dominated by spiritual choices instead of by our flesh and our emotion. And he changes us from the inside out. This is how God wants us to live our lives, with a heart that is led, covered, protected, and directed by his spirit. Without the flesh, without emotion, without hurt, without pain. See, when all of that stuff tries to come back in, if we're focused on the spirit, then eventually what's going to happen is, see how it's disappearing? So while we experience the impact from what's happening in the world, if we're governed by the spirit, the spirit will override the road the flesh is trying to take us down. Where we lose the battle too many times is that we forget to keep our focus on the spiritual things. We forget to spend time in the Word of God. We forget to let God heal and restore that hurt and that pain. And we start to revert back to everything Jesus paid the price to deliver us and heal us out of. And so we go through life and instead of being full of His Spirit and full of His Word and focused on Him, things begin to creep in. We get hurt. We get betrayed. Maybe we get hurt by family. 
get hurt by friends. Maybe you get hurt by somebody in church and you just don't know how to get over it. You don't know how to release it. And it carries over and it begins to stain your heart again. And now every decision you're going to make from that moment on is going to carry with it influence from the, fr- the flesh and emotion and feeling that you don't have to carry over with you. See how it taints? See how it stains? What we're called to do is this. We're called to live in a perpetual state of spiritual overflow so that when the flesh tries to do what the flesh tries to do, the Spirit is there to wash it away. So we spend time in the Word of God. We spend time worshiping God. We spend time in His presence. And no matter how much the world tries to pour in, see, we're overflowing out. Overflowing out because we constantly have God pouring in. We live in a constant state of overflow. Overflow. Overflow in His presence. Overflow in His power. Overflow in His healing. Overflow in our focus with Him. We are so consumed with being led by the Spirit that we virtually become like... like spiritual Teflon in a way where everything that the enemy tries to throw at us doesn't stick because it washes right away because we are living in a state of overflow. Everybody say overflow. God wants us to live in a state of overflow, not hurt, not pain, not regret, not tied to the past because when you don't live in overflow, when you're not focused on the spiritual things, you're living at best a normal human existence when you've got the potential in your Lord and Savior to live above and beyond all the circumstances of life to rise above all the choices and decisions and see the end game to avoid all the traps and the snares of the enemy and be focused on the spiritual instead of the carnal to be focused on what he wants to do in and through your life instead of fixed on how this person hurt me and that person hurt me and this didn't work out the the way that I wanted it to and so you live in an emotional whirlwind of frustration just capped and missing out on everything that God wants to do in and through you listen we don't live by what we feel we live by what we know we live by what we know we live by what we know and if we stay in that state of overflow focused on the Spirit of God, listen, that gives us the ability to heal when it hurts. That gives us the ability to choose to do the right thing when our flesh wants to do wrong. Uh Uh-uh. Now our spirit is so strong that it can overcome the desires of the flesh and we can back up from a situation and say, you know what? I know what I want to do here, but it's not the right thing to do. I'm going to choose to do what the Bible says. Even though I feel like doing this, I'm going to choose to do what the Bible says. And when you get that, now you're living on a level of maturity and depth that very few people reach. Most people live their lives right down here, caught up on an emotional level. Very few people pay the price to live in overflow and fill that spirit and deny that flesh so that when the point of decision comes, they choose the spiritual over the carnal. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense? I got a question for you today. How you living? How you living? Are you living by what you feel or are you living by what you know? Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.
Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you speak to every person here. God, that we wouldn't play the religious games that so many times people play. Lord, I pray that people are real and honest in this moment, myself included. That people be real and honest online in this moment, too. Because nothing happens unless we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know what? You've been living a life that's been dominated by your emotions. And you know what? If we traced it back, I bet you it would land on one issue, one thing that's happened, either in the distant past or the recent past. But usually these things snowball on top of each other. Are you the kind of person that's incredibly emotional? You make decisions in a moment on emotion. I want to pray with you this morning so that we can begin to step out of that cycle and step into solid ground to put our focus on the spiritual things, to move away from that emotional way of processing through things. take a step towards living in that overflow where we're constantly not just feeding ourselves spiritually but overflowing out into everything around us to bring impact and change and to not be affected by what's going on but to affect what's going on around us by how we live our lives to be agents of change and it all starts with a decision in us Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around if you're here this morning. Say, you know what, Pastor Josh, I, that has been a battle in my life. I struggle sometimes with emotion. Sometimes, sometimes it gets the best of me. Maybe you're here today and you're still carrying around emotional hurt from things that happened months and even years ago. And I believe God can heal and restore that today. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. Pastor Josh, emotion does dominate. Emotion does, it does affect how I live my life daily. But I want to make a change today and I don't want to make decisions based on feeling or emotion. I want to make sure that I'm making wise decisions based on the word of God. That I'm living in that overflow, focused on the spiritual things of life. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. I'm dealing with this stuff, but I want to be, I want to deal with it and be done with it today. If that's you, when I count to three, lift your eyes and look at me. If that's you online right now, just respond in your own way and let God begin to work in your heart. Maybe put an emoji in the comments list so we know how to pray for you after service today. Here we go. That's me, Pastor Josh. I know. I know. And today I'm ready to change. Today I'm ready to let God heal. I'm ready to let God restore. Today I'm ready to move from emotion into a spiritual walk where God wants me to be. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your eyes up and look at me. I see yours. I see yours. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours. see you in the back. Praise God. A lot of eyes going up this morning. Everyone that will, let's stand together as we close in prayer today. A lot of eyes that went up. This is where a lot of people are. This is where the enemy likes to fight us the best. 
He likes to get us emotionally frustrated. That's what he likes to do. The good news is the Bible says that we don't have to be unaware of the enemy schemes. Amen? So we know the trap he sets. We know how to face it. Navigate right through it. I don't know about you, but I want to be an overcomer. I want to live above the situations and circumstances of life. I want to do everything God created me to do. I want to be everything God created me to be. I don't want to be Moses and miss out on the promised land because of a rash emotional decision. I don't want to be David who lets other people go and do what he should have been doing. And I don't want to be Judas who misses out and pays a huge price because he wasn't able to get over a fence. I want to be able to stand in front of Jesus and say, you did what I told you to do. You did it the way I said to do it. Well done. I'm pleased with you, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. I want to impact lives along the way, but I know that's not going to happen if I focus on the flesh instead of on the spirit. So let's focus on the spirit today. I want to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Everybody that's in here today, Lord, I thank you for their heart. Lord, I thank you for the honesty that's in this room today. Father, first of all, those of us that, Lord, we might need to release some stuff to you right now, just in the presence of God, Lord. Lord, we just release this stuff to you. God, I ask, Lord, that you heal and that you restore. Father, every hurt that is in this room, every disappointment that is in this room because I know the pain is real and I know the disappointment is real and I know the hurt is real and I don't want to downplay that because whatever happened happened and however it impacted us it impacted us but I know that you are a God that heals and restores and makes things like they are brand new. So Father, I ask that you heal and you restore this morning. Every heart. Lord, every frustration. God, we lay it at your feet right now. Lord, all the anger, we lay it at your feet right now. Father, all the fear, all the unknown. Lord, even some of us who may be wrestling with anxiety right now. Lord, we, we lay this down at your feet today. Heal and restore, Father. Lord, let your peace reign in our hearts today. God, we choose to live in overflow. God, we choose to live a life focused on you. Lord, we choose today not to be dominated by our emotions. Lord, we choose to submit ourselves to you and to let you change us from the inside out. And I think so many times that's where the frustration comes from because we try to fix ourselves. And we try to correct ourselves. And we try to make ourselves not be the way that we were. And if we could have fixed ourselves, we never would have needed you to die on the cross for us, Lord. Let us realize that there are just some things we're not going to be able to do ourselves. So let us do our part and surrender to you and let you do the changing. Let you do the restoring. Let you do the healing. Let you bring in the restraint and the self-control as a fruit of your spirit and operation in our lives. Not a desperate attempt at some kind of discipline from the flesh from us, Lord. Change us from the inside out today, God. Like only you can. Father, we give you glory and we give you praise for everything that you've done in this place today, God, Lord, for healing, for restoring. 
for some of us, Father, for the work that you've started in our hearts today that you're going to continue to do this afternoon and tonight and on through the week. God, I thank you for drawing us back to you. Lord, I thank you for reminding us of the simple truth of your word. We don't have to be dominated by what we feel. We don't have to be dominated by emotion. That we can choose to rise above it and operate in a spiritual way. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise in the house this morning. A lot you can learn from the 70s. It's going to be a lot we're going to learn from the 80s next week. Guys, how many of you say, I'll be here next week? I'll be here next week. Check out what's going on in the 80s. Hey, if you can, if work will let you, if your schedule will let you, be in the house of God. If you can't be here, join us online. We're going to have the costume contest next week. So you guys that want to get crazy, dress up like the 80s, I'll match you. I'll match you and dress up. We'll have some fun, but we're going to look at some powerful truth that we can learn from the 80s, just like we did today. How many of you say the word blessed you today and challenged you a little bit today? Yeah, that's what we want. We want to see change and growth in this place.